When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm going to do a quick audio test. Liz? Piss baby. Baby piss. Time for the piss baby to come out of his hidey hole for the Halloween season. Go go back in there one more time. Uh, The piss baby has come out of his hidey hole for the Halloween season. Mm. He's here. And he's here to piss on your lawn. I'm sure a lot of folks out there listening aren't uh, actors who who have gone through warm-ups before. That's just a normal vocal warm-up that actors do. Yeah, it really gets in uh, your glottis. Yeah. It really piss. (laughs) People talk about how we're a piss-forward show all the time. No, 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 no. We're a piss positive is <laughs> positive not piss centric yeah it's just like it, it's part of the uber Once again, our story continues in the clouds. This time over the provincial metropolis of Du Mignon. Du Mignon is a city built up over massive lakes and craters. Craters having water channeled around them through many intricate canals uh, being irrigated by spiraling waterfalls that move down into an undercity. This area of the city is full of interconnected channels and tunnels and caves which connect one crater to the next. There are flooded out parts that make up the somewhat artificial lakes of Dumignon. There are many sunken areas, that's, uh, some of which extend back to pre-star fall. Here, there are skyship ports, but there are not main hubs in the way that we're used to with Bougenith or Nordia or any of the other cities that are more centralized. Du Mignon has skyships scattered about the many fronds and bubbles of its lakes. We can see up to the north, towards some of the farthest fronds, the Uhuru descending to port with Gable at the helm. We'll cut back to them in a moment, but first, I'd like to check in on the captain of this ship. Mm-hmm. Nathan, tell us, where is Oromar Vale? I think Oromar Vale today is uh, actually trying to do his best duty 
with the orphans aboard the ship. Mm. For those who do not know, the Uhuru is host to a wide variety of orphans, displaced youths through the general kind of complexities of modern living in Sphere, giving them skills, giving them shelter, giving them tools. So uh, when we arrive somewhere new, if they are of age, they are able to go and make a headway wherever new location we have arrived in. Please describe for us how how Oromar Vale looks as he is uh, imparting this this latest lesson. Oromar Vale is a very tall, very reasonably wide uh, black gentleman (laughs) um, with long um, dreads that have been interspersed with uh, various kind of gold decorations and a very large tricorn hat that obscures his face. This gives him an air of mystery and uh, an ominous intent, but so would also the fact that he is very much deceased. In general, well, at least for the last for the last while, uh, Oromar uh, was dressed in a large coat to the ankles in a kind of a deep red, but that one has been battered and bloody through many adventures, somewhat against his will, and uh, with his newfound sense of agency, has decided to switch up the colour for a while. He does have more than one coat. What? Mmm. Let's be fancy today. Yeah, let's <laughs> let's make let's make it a fancy one. I think this one is like midnight blue with gold piping. Ooh. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes him a little harder to spot on an on an evening on an evening night, but you know, I guess along with the decorations and the hair, uh, if caught in the right caught in the right light and in the right position, he glitters like the night sky. This is an interesting one because I believe Oromar's red coat is one that we established that he took from the captain that he deposed when he took over the Uhuru through mutiny. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, are there similar stories for the other coats or are these uh, bespoke pieces that are na- made for Oromar? I think this is a, a bespoke piece kind of deal, even though wearing a, a single coat as a symbol of one one's kind of like captaincy it's very thematic but it is also you know uh, very smelly you need to actually go and change that out for a different coat every once in a while but also you know trying to not be like the whole like dexter's lab line of indi- of like uh, yeah. an infinite line of the same kind of outfit mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> he has a handful of others and under current circumstances He's trying his best to be his own person in as many ways as he knows how. So taking the opportunity to actually wear something different for a change is something that he's taking quiet joy in today as he's teaching the orphans. Hmm. I think this one, I think this one is river safety. We're taking river safety classes today. Nice. Nice. Okay, what does river safety look like in Sphere? <laughs> a place with notoriously cursed rivers. Exactly. I was about to say, like, is that a river? You, no? Okay. <laughs> mm, mm. <laughs> then you're safe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's uh, especially with, since the, the trials and tribulations that we last had was kind of like moving over a river with wild animals that could uh, tear a person in half very easily. 
you know, avoiding the river is very much step one. But, you know, sometimes step one is not an option. Sometimes you have to be at the river to get the job done. So what's step two? What can you do physically? What can you do magically to make sure that you and yours are not about to be torn in half by seals or spirits? So yeah, it's like part practical exercise, part kind of like, you know, I, I, I do wonder what mundane people who don't have, you know, a, a Jonnet or a Gable magical attunement going can kind of do to deal with the uh, metaphysics mm. of the setting. But uh, So uh, w- what I will say is magic is a thing that is not something that exists solely for one type of person or another. Mm-hmm. Anyone can perform magic, but most people do magic uh, the way that you would uh, hear a folk story. You know, it's the, oh, you bury a yam beneath your floorboards and that will make you fertile. Uh, that that mm. sort of magic. So probably what this would be would be like preventative charms to protect them from drowning or more likely to ward off Rusalka. Mm, mm. Yeah, we're, we're whistling small pieces of wood into into uh, geometric shapes and engraving them and then putting them in tiny little glass bottles that you hang around your neck or keep in a pocket. And uh, that particular piece of work and it's the effort that's put into it. You don't need to be good at carving, but if you're carving with the, with the right intent, with the passion and belief that it's doing the thing that it needs to do, it works. Or at least that's what the stories say. Which in many cases is is as good enough as working. Mm-hmm. So yes, we see Oromar leading these children through as they are doing their best, they're most diligent to believe in the whittling that they are doing, to understand the story that they're being told, to know of the cold pull of the river and how it will take them into the world of the dead unless they manage to carve correctly and ward off Rusalka and her icy grip. We then move to a different part of the ship, and I I think I would like to check in on Travis, and this is before the evening time, Travis, uh, and we are in a new location, so I'm about to draw a card to determine what season it is. And we've got autumn, baby. The raven is back. back. (laughs) That's great. That's great. You love to see it. (laughs) Where where is Travis perched? Well, I mean, it does feel a little on the nose to be in the crow's nest. I think, have we ever talked about what the, um, oh my gosh, the thing on the front of the boat. What's the thing on the front of the boat called? The ma- masthead? Uh, uh, figurehead. Figurehead, uh, figurehead. Um, have we talked about what the figurehead of this ship is? It's broken. Yeah, we, we do know that it's broken. I believe Jonnet sits on like the headless body of some w- woman or something. Yeah. I can I sit? May I sit there, Jonnet? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yes. Feel free. Thank you. <laughs> I would have anyway, but it's nice to. Yeah, um... I know, I know, but I appreciate the gesture. You've learned. <laughs> You're growing. <laughs> and and if you if you could leave too, that'd be. <laughs> you know what? That yeah yeah yeah. Uh, okay okay. 
<laughs> there is room for more. You know what? I'm gonna go. I'm just gonna go. <laughs> oh sure, there's room. There's room for plenty of people wherever they want to go. There's plenty of room for you over that way. <laughs> I'm walking. I'm walking this way. Peace. <laughs> yeah, I think Travis is here. I mean, may may also Mr. Slam be here. Oh yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> Slam, I would have to say, would probably barely fit in like this little space that that John uh, that John usually sits. So, is he like leaning over the side? Is he hanging on a rope? What what's happening? I think you know you know how like when adults are in you know like at a parent teacher conference at a school and they're in like a little kid desk and their knee you know you got to sit low and your knees are up really high and you just look too gigantic i think slam is just doing that yeah so so we see slam who is uh you know a crew member of indeterminate age Uh, the thing that is certain about slam is he is a huge hunk of beefcake you know, he, he stands at about 6'3", and he is muscle all the way down, so muscular that he is inflexible. His muscles are simply too large for him to bend his, his body all the way. <laughs> and he is currently caught up like a tangled marionette in this area on the figurehead where normally Jonnet would be sitting to enter a new port. Where, where is Travis in this? I think on on Slam's shoulder that feels nice, <laughs> and there's there's ample shoulder space there. I would say. <laughs> uh, tra- Travis, you, you gotta go get help. I I can't I can't free myself. But why would you want to? Look at this view. Uh, uh. I, I, I actually, my head is sort of transfixed forward on the sky. I can only move it this far either either side. Well, you, I, here's the thing, Slam. Uh-huh. I know yeah. that if you really wanted to, you could get out. I believe in you. And that's why I'm not going to get help. Wow. <laughs> I, I, I don't think I've ever had anyone have this much faith in me before. And the, and here here's the thing: the fact that you're not trying to get out right now shows me how much you really want to be here. <laughs> wow! Yeah, yeah. You know what? Yeah, maybe maybe this is what I what I needed. I I never let myself slow down. Yeah, sometimes you've just got to take a break. Take it from me: I I'm usually taking a break, and I've got to tell you, it's nice. Are you sure you're usually giving out so much helpful advice? Well, that's that's sort of what I do on my downtime when I'm not like you know working. Um, I just like oh. to be helpful. That's how I relax is just helping others. Wow! Wow! Oh, Travis, look at that sunset. It's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> it is, and uh, as the sun sets, unfortunately, I must leave. Oh, will you return? (laughs) (laughs) When you need me most, I'll be there. So, Travis, we watch you as you flit away. Where where do you go to transform? I feel like I've been practicing because I'm, you know, been getting better at transforming and stuff. So I think I've been 
trying to kind of like stunt while I transform. So like Ooh. kind of flying up a little bit, transforming in midair and then being able to land like as a man. That's I love that. That is extremely Travis. I, I think we follow <laughs> we, we follow this raven up and we can see that it is a beautiful, pure white raven with with void black eyes. They don't look like shadow. They, they don't look like reflective dark pools like obsidian or oil. It's something in between. It crests up, and we can see the Uhuru from, from a top-down, forgive, bird's-eye view. <laughs> and we can see that the port of Dubmignon has thrown in its own anchors as the Uhuru has dropped anchor. And currently, the Uhuru is being slowly pulled in with crew around the envelope of the balloon, releasing exhaust to slowly cool down the weave and allow the ship to drift to port. We, we follow Travis back down as he makes an extremely quick transformation. His transformations used to be two minutes, two full minutes in length, a, a full Animorph transformation. But mm. this one, this one looks like it is, is moving much faster. Where do you dramatically land? I think, oh gosh, maybe, you know what? I want to land right back next to Slam. <laughs> okay. Okay. So you like kind of did a did a move around the ship and then move like just at the the bow of the ship <laughs> and right above the masthead. Mm -hmm. Johnny, I will need you to describe what Travis looks like as a man. Sure. He is. He's got like long white hair that is very distinct from Gable's hair that is a similar but different color that they will describe eventually. I believe Gable described their hair as silver this time yeah, around. Yeah, white and silver uh. are very different colors, I would say. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. Especially Extremely. in terms of hair. And um, he is wearing like a long green jacket that is, you know, when you imagine like a, a piratey kind of jacket, you're probably getting it right. Uh, he's wearing a <laughs> lot of watches all up his wrists and he, he here's the thing. He looks good. You know, I hate to say it, but he looks good. We all hate to say <laughs> it, but we must acknowledge that Travis looks good, especially now as he descends delicately onto the rail at the front of the ship. You know, the, like obviously the Uhuru is too big to to dip or react to you landing, but certainly we can see that Slam tangled in his many ropes uh, sways a bit, like like a giant beef in a hammock, um, just sways a bit as Travis touches down in his landing. Travis, from here, you can see Du Mignon and the unique structure of it, the many rivers of an artificial delta moving around these large craters in the ground, which have buildings extending up out of them. The lights are coming on in this sunset, and you can see smoke 
cresting up out of the active parts of Duh Mignon. You can also see uh, the areas that have flooded up and become lakes. You can see, I, I feel like we can see one water is being transferred from one basin to another through a complex series of aqueducts and canals. It is a sight to behold, to be sure. And I feel like there is a feeling that you get inside. I'd love for you to tell me about this feeling, but you look out towards the area where the many canals meet this kind of swampy lake that borders on the sea that is just a bit far off from this area where you can see the dark groves of the legendary mangrenil trees the mangrenil trees which allow this area to exist the trees that filter out the curse and hatred of the sea and make the swamp into the livable and brackish place that it is looking out at those you can feel her influence pulling at them and you. Slam, have you ever been here before? Uh, no. Uh, no. No. Hmm. You know, I think you're going to like it. Really? I do, yeah. Wow. It's so funny. This bird that I was <laughs> just talking to said that exact same thing. Hmm. You don't say. As Travis says that, we, we move to another part of the ship, and I need to know, where is Jonnet? Okay, so I believe that our, our little hero, Jonnet, he has been recruited. I think there was a moment in time where Jonnet was just kind of like sauntering down in the, the decks of the ship, probably like leaving the, the front of the ship after Travis relieved Jonnet of his position there. And um, I think somebody just like exploded out of the kitchen, looked left, looked right, saw Jonnet, and like, you, can you cut? He's like, uh, what? He's like, can you cut? Are you good with a knife? All right, we we lost, um, <laughs> we lost Slam. We can't find him. Um, <laughs> and so before Jonnet has even really an opportunity to confirm or deny, he's been grabbed by his shirt and pulled into the kitchen. And I feel like we get a chance to see this 15-year-old boy, black skin with a frohawk and a crimson. It's it's getting more dirtied from wearing an adventured but crimson headband. He is not he's like medium height he's a 15 year old normal he's like five eight um, <laughs> all right there we go we put a number to oh, it oh no <laughs> i think i think that means he grew i think that means he grew like a lot since the show began all right. which i like fine oh, we gotta he's check four, the notches <laughs> we've been putting notches in the uh. we'll just count the rings <laughs> <laughs> so uh this uh, five six uh, kid gets uh, pulled into the, the kitchen and uh, we immediately sort of like track right behind him at his shoulder like point of view and so we see people like rushing by the last time we were kind of like at port we got our hands on a wheel of cheese and that was oh, yeah. huge and this mm. is kind of like the last like meal that we have where we have cheese so we're doing like some <laughs> I was gonna 
brothy, noodly, cheesy, like it's kind of gross, but it's also on this ship when mm-hmm. you're in the air. It's great. Yeah, I kind of imagine like it, it's like it's not grits, but it is sort of close to a cheesy grit. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's it's more soupy than grits. And I think which does probably make it bad. But <laughs> it's very much like we will restock when we get somewhere. And then I think there's vegetables that are going along that need to be chopped, and chopping stuff is Slam's bag. Can't find Slam, so John it, he's up to bat. I want to take a moment and sort of analyze Jonnet vis-a-vis his his potential here. We have root vegetables in front of Jonnet. I, I think there are potatoes. I feel like there are radishes. You know, the, these are things that on their own, uh, in their own devices, will, will keep most of the other things have probably gone bad or, you know, more likely, especially under the careful direction of Fella Ferretti, been used by now or pickled <laughs> somehow. Great. So these, these are the last fresh vegetables. Um, how familiar is Jonnet with kitchen work? I I feel like Jonnet has the ability to feed himself mm. <laughs> because Jonnet's food standards are much lower, and so uh, he's a he's a little he's a little like nervous, but also the kid fought the mariner, and so there's a little bit of like there's buzzing going on in the world and in his head, but it's also like come. Focus up. You got this. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think what we got, because we've got in, in this kitchen, we know under Fella's direction, we have Toku. Mm-hmm. Toku normally works in the kitchen and, and Slam. So, you know, Toku is off to the side. And Toku, you know, usually fights with two swords. Toku is extremely dexterous. Yeah. And is like chopping with like perfect knife skills. And Jonnet and like the few other people who have been roped into the kitchen to temporarily replace Slam. So I'm going to say Wendell is here for sure. Gosh, uh, maybe, maybe Jane, not Pliff, not after last time. <laughs> so we've got people chopping up vegetables, you know, with varying degrees of confidence. And Jonnet at first is like, you know, a little bit nervous. I, I feel like I, I would like just like a half a mini flashback to a, a time when Jonnet was growing up and like accidentally got himself in a busy kitchen where he was just in the way back home. <laughs> yeah, I feel like there's a Jonnet gets pulled in making his way to the chopping table. He pulls to, up to the, the table, sees Jane and Jane immediately, they lock eyes. Jane gives like the smallest nod, hands giant like a root vegetable, and then flaps down like a, a big knife and it just gives him a watch your hands. 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 <laughs> and then we cut back to a knife and it's like same style, but a different, clearly a different setting. And then we see it pull up and it's John. It's, he's maybe two years younger. No, he's maybe like, he's maybe like 10. He doesn't really deserve to be in the kitchen. We see the camera start to like move around John it again. We see it's a little bit of a bustling kitchen, but it's just his sister Zana and his dad. And his dad is 
trying to cook up a storm. It's it's like Zana's birthday, and they're like mm. whipping stuff up, whipping stuff up. Zana is just kind of dancing around. She's she, it's her birthday, so she doesn't have she doesn't have to help. And so she's <laughs> definitely like getting in Janet's face about it. And so Janet is like, "Dad, you you want me to cut the, the knife?" Is like only if you feel comfortable, son. All right, but, but if you got it, you gotta. <laughs> What's the, what's the uh, sphere equivalent of shit or get off the pot? <laughs> um, uh, oh, man. They still shit. <laughs> they do they still do, shit. They do do that, And though. fans <laughs> no, have been right, waiting don't. for us to canonically <laughs> confirm that people still poop in sphere. So, like, here it is. I... Here it is because you know piss is a thing <laughs> because the performers have endeavored to make sure you know that. No, we well, do, we do the, the slander I will not tolerate. <laughs> <laughs> we know that ghosts piss. Ghosts piss. Do living people piss? That has mm. not been confirmed. Mm. Regardless. Did we just have Regardless. bathrooms we'll established this entire time, but nobody actually uses the bathroom. It's just a location <laughs> for people to hang out. Anyway. I- hey gang, Chubboy spoiler bot here. Today's redaction is a little different. I'm preemptively redacting you from telling the cast about the multiple times people have pooped or pretended to poop or referred to pooping throughout the show. Hell even in the last 10 episodes or something. When did Travis have that scene with Bathroom Barry again? Anyway, I know you're probably in agony right now, wanting to tell them that, while the show is undoubtedly piss-forward, it has had its share of scatological bits as well. But you have been redacted. You must say nothing. You must imply nothing. You must carry the burden of the secret to your grave, and you must keep it from the devil in hell. Perhaps now you see. Perhaps now you can understand. Perhaps now you feel a fraction, no, a fraction of a fraction, a fleeting impermanent iota, of what it is to be me. Spoiler bot. The anguish, the ecstasy, of knowing all. And saying nothing. I feel like, okay, so uh, in my head, my first draft of this uh, is, uh, all right, Janet, you either gotta sit or sail, okay? We gotta go. Was like, Ooh. and it's like, um, it. uh, 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 and, <laughs> and his dad's like, oh, there's no time for this, all right? And so he grabs the knife out of Jonnet's hand. He kind of like booty bumps him to the side. He starts to cut and then immediately just. And like he like chops like the like a nib of his thumb off. And so Jonnet is thrown back into the present day. Oh, I think. Yeah, like that happens. But I do want to point out like with that static enters the memory like firm, deep static of you not being able to picture what is happening as the knife gets pulled away and your father's hand gets pulled towards another person, you think? It's like your mind is is the ocean itself lapping up against a rock, chipping away slowly at something that you know to be there, but is no longer a part of yourself. Cut back into the current moment with the knife and vegetable in front of you. You feel a bit of the pressure of the moment, I I think. And then it's just as you said before, you go, I fought the Mariner. (laughs) And... I think from that, we get a, a snapshot into Jonnet's eye looking down on this. And early, we see Jonnet's face. And underneath the, the red band, you can see a very small glint of light open up. 
Janet's third eye has opened up, which sort of connects him into the uh, divine pathway of the universe. This time it's manifesting in a very interesting way in which he's looking down at the root vegetable and he can actually see kind of like lines where like the optimal cuts are should yeah. be for it. And he's, he's like, oh, that's new. And then chop, 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 chop. Yeah, I, I feel like you're seeing you're, you're seeing like how you're supposed to hold your hand yeah. perfectly, and then suddenly your chopping joins the rhythm of the chopping of the other practiced knife hands around the kitchen space, and once again we have seen the tremendous potential in Janet Kessler. It's James, your game master. Uh, boy, we've got some really exciting announcements this week. But before we get to that, I do want to start off with a radvertisement. This one comes to us from the Giants March. The Giants March is an actual play D&D 5th edition podcast where players roleplay as giants who are traveling south on a mission into foreign territory. The story is filled with mystery, magic, and colorful characters. This podcast's high-quality production includes immersive sound effects and original music. Hey, I love original music and podcasts. You can listen by searching for The Giants March on your favorite podcast app or find them on their podcast network website, timetodierpg.com. A huge thanks to The Giants March podcast for sponsoring this week's episode. I mean, who doesn't want adventuring heroes but bigger? Now, with that word from our sponsors, I want to turn to a bit of a more serious subject. Uh, first of all, hello, welcome back. Uh, we were on a very long break, but there's a particular reason that we were on a very long break. I am recording now what is likely the last piece of audio that I will record before I am a father. There is a non-zero chance that my spouse, Mel, who is hopefully asleep or falling asleep upstairs, has just started labor. And if they have it, we also have a date scheduled to induce labor. But that means in the next day or so, I am going to be welcoming a child into the world. And podcasts are weird, right, folks? Like, uh, we talk about parasocial relationships a lot, especially in this space. It is intimate to have someone in your ears every week, uh, especially, you know, telling stories, uh, stories that resonate with you. I feel like you can get very close. But I, I do have to acknowledge that part of what is allowing me to have this child, to be at this place in my life where not only do I have a career that is stable-ish enough to support a child, but I also have the hours and flexibility to take care of a child and be a dad. And the audience from shows like One Shot and Campaign Skyjacks is what helped me do that. So on the eve of fatherhood, I wanted to take a moment and offer a sincere thank you to everyone out there listening. I love doing what I do. And doing what I do is helping me do what I love. I can't thank you enough for that. And I feel weird saying that because Mel and I tomorrow were supposed to uh, put together the new list of Patreon backers. And there, there is a good chance that physically that's just not going to happen for a little bit. 
Um, after I record this mid-roll bumper, I'm going to be recording a generic mid-roll bumper that will act as our mid-roll on campaign until I record a new one that, you know, leaves a slot for Patreon thank yous. Because I'm going to be taking care of an infant extremely soon, I will not be able to focus on production as attentively. One of the reasons that we took our big hiatus over the holidays was to stock up episodes, not just episodes that we've recorded and are in the can, but episodes that are fully edited and sound produced uh, to take some of the weight off of Casey's shoulders. That means after my child is born, even if there are delays in production that are caused by, you know, unforeseen incidents uh, that are related to me raising an infant, the show will be able to continue as normal and, you know, we'll be able to keep bringing you the stories that we're so proud to bring you. Anyway, I am rambling. Um, The important things that you need to know is, you know, I I believe because I'm recording this now, tomorrow's episode is up. Because my child is being born within the next few days, there is a non-zero chance that we will skip the next week. Um, But after that, we are going to be right back on our regular schedule. Um, I apologize if if we do have that delay next week. Uh, You know, that's out of consideration for the whole team because that gives Casey, you know, extra time to edit. And, I, you know, it's good. It's good overall, even if it is, you know, a, a temporary waiting for something. Um, yeah, and I'm waiting for something right now too. I should really get back on on focus because, you know, we're, we're in the new arc, baby, and you should be excited about this arc because there are so many cool things. We have a guest performer coming in for this arc and, and they are so talented and they contributed so much to the show. Uh, and we're in a new location. It's really cool. Uh, I will be putting together or having someone put together the bonus content for that soonish so that, uh, our Patreon backers will be able to listen to it. Um, and we're also going to be putting up the final episode of, uh, Sky Jack's Azure Blues either this week or next week, uh, baby schedule allowing. Uh, so if you want to hear all that cool bonus content, please head over to patreon.com slash one shot podcast and sign up to be a Patreon backer. It lets us do what we do. And it helped me be here at this specific moment in my life, which is a moment that I am so overwhelmed with gratitude that words are just never going to do it justice so with all of that out of the way let's get back in the sky Before we pull this ship truly into port, I want to cut over too far into Duhmignon. It is so hard to think of this place as a single city. I would I actually like if I'm going to compare it to anywhere, I'll compare it to L.A. a little bit in that there is a tremendously inconvenient bit of like landscape that has been put in the middle of what otherwise would be called a city. L.A. is like a 
it, it is a city. It's a metropolis, but it's plopped down on top of mountains. So it's actually like a bunch of suburbs that are somehow called the city together. I, I think Dumignon works in a similar way in that because the landscape is so inconvenient, you know, people have clustered into these different parts. They all consider themselves a part of Dumignon, but like so much of it is spread out over so far it's just a massive, massive amount of space. And here we find a remote portion, one of the places where the outlets of the canals and the natural rivers around this place meet up with the swamp. And before I describe any more, I, I would like to move over to our guest, Lex. Lex, also known as Lex the Lexicon Artist. Uh, welcome to the show, first of all. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Lex, my question to you is, where is Teacher Way at, at this very moment? So we are in a swamp, correct? Yeah, you're you're in a swampy city. Like I, I described okay. like a part. This is just far off from like the heart of the metropolis, I think. Yeah. Um, but like where where would they want to be? I think Teacher Way wants to be somewhere with a really nice view. So somewhere like uh, that has like some sort of high vantage point, either, you know, at the edge of like a large crater or, you know, at the top of like a naturally formed like rock. Uh, it's their favorite place to be when visiting Dominion because, you know, they, you know, being someone who travels a lot, they, you know, like to have these favorite places as, you know, these are the places that I have to go to to kind of center myself when I'm visiting a certain place. So like they're in at that place right now. I like that a lot. I, I like to think that one of the features of Dominion is because these craters were created, you know, what, you know, to, to our understanding in our world would essentially be meteors uh, striking the earth, like objects from the celestial heavens, like very, very deeply impacting the earth. That also means that huge bits of rock got kicked up and boulders got displaced. So interspersed with a swamp are these like jagged pieces of earth that were displaced hundreds of years ago that you get to sit on top of. Yeah. Um, and I really like the words that you use to center yourself, yeah. um, especially here. Dumignon is a place where the river meets the sea and mixes between. There is still land here. People can live here. But rivers come down from the mountains. The sea rages against the shore. And here in the swamp, there is a brackish stillness where Rusalka's ire from the rivers is quieted and the mariner's hatred from the sea is kept at bay. And you can look out at the mangroneel, uh, the trees that I referenced earlier. Uh, we do know that in our world, there are mangrove trees. Mangroves are extremely useful trees in that they sit between the sea and the land, and they're an important part of keeping water from being 
overly salty. They actually filter out salt water and help fresh water exist in swampy regions. Mm -hmm. But South America and Florida are also home to manganeal trees, Mm. uh, which are like one of the most poisonous trees in existence. Mm. Their sap is extremely toxic. Their pollen is extremely toxic. Their bark is super toxic. Everything about them will kill you or permanently disable you Mm. or give you an extremely bad time for much longer than you would want. Mm-hmm. And so the mangrineal are a combination of these okay. because they filter out the hatred of the sea. Got it. Uh, the mariner's extreme distaste for anyone who walks on land gets sucked up into these trees and they are just hugely, hugely toxic. Which is why the place uh, where you are currently sitting is a place where no one else would think to sit. No one else would have the skill to reach. Right. So yeah, let, let's check in with Wei. What, first of all, what does Wei look like? Wei has short hair, black hair, pixie cut. Wei is dressed in all black. Uh, very Ooh. casual, you know, flowy robe type clothes, but multi-layered because Wei is originally from a tropical area. And so Wei is not good with cold. And now that it's autumn, it is already very cold for them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like they are not really good with, you know, winter or anything like that. So they're dressed warmer than other people might be in this area. And yeah, Wei, I imagine that they don't have any body modifications. Yeah, they, they don't have any body modifications. I know that that's very common among Liquid Swords monks, but they just decided that it wasn't for them. Mm. And other than that, no real like jewelry or anything. It's just like a very austere <laughs> black top down. Yeah. So, so one of the things that we know about our encounters with Liquid Swords monks in the past, we've actually met two monks, as it were. We've met a Traveler Quan, who was an active traveler for the monastery, meaning she went out and represented the monastery and like different negotiations and whatnot. And we got to meet Hawano, who is somebody who, you know, was installed with the Liquid Swords for a while, but uh, essentially formally withdrew from the temple in order to rejoin his people in Ungoni Mm -hmm. and keep it in the sky. We know that monks from the temple, uh, like those that are still active, will wear their credentials as makeup on their forehead. Mm -hmm. If they have mastered a certain discipline, they'll like put a dot on their forehead or something. And they are generally partial to like blue robes. So the choice of black is really interesting, but I want to know, are there any indications of of your expertise and accomplishments that that are worn on your head? Or is that also very austere? Well, actually, so I know that Jonnet covers his eye with a headband. Mm -hmm. Wei does not do that. Wei just like, it's like, it's just there. Uh, Like they don't cover it. It's very clearly visible. Oh yeah, where is Wei's eye? We haven't described that and that might be pretty important. Right, Uh, Wei's eye is in the center of their neck. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so like very obvious. And so anyone who approaches them will immediately see that they are not a regular person, I guess. As far as makeup, I personally imagine that they 
don't wear any makeup and mm-hmm. it's a, it's a it's a active choice because maybe part of it is they don't want to be associated immediately with the liquid swords mm. and you know they they don't want to appear too conspicuous i think yeah that i i really like it i really like uh the ways that way decides to live dangerously and expose things about themselves and conceal things because like having a seer's eye like on your neck could like <laughs> walking around like that people people might like take to fear or like try to go after you yeah and not wearing the association of the temple like the temple is another thing that intimidates people so just the ways that way is comfortable intimidating people yeah and the ways that way uh, wants to hide it is very cool and interesting and i think that um uh what you just described gives me you know another idea as to why they do this they do like instilling fear in people they do want to show people that they are not, they have great power and that, you know, they are not a person to be messed with. I think that they're just a little jaded with the temple and all of its associations and all of their experiences with the temple. And so I think right now they might be going through a bit of a phase where they don't want immediate, people to immediately associate that they're with the temple, but they want people to think that they can mess them up. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, so we know from from our discussions, Lex, that Way knows that Jonnet is coming. Mm-hmm. I I want to know, like, you you must know that that he is landing now. Yeah. H- how how do you know this? Or you know what what signs are are you looking for? And you know what is what does Way's expression look like? How 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 can we tell how they might be feeling? So I think it's a uh, it's somewhere between like frustration uh, or annoyance, like just like general irritants and annoyance and anxiety, because Wei realizes that they have to you know confront this part of their past that they kind of want to distance themselves from, but at the same time they are anxious to make a new friend and make a new connection, uh, and so I think that the expression on their face is kind of you know somewhere in between the two i also want to point out that i think way is ha- has takeout like some food that they're eating because like <laughs> oh, one of yes. one of the one of the main things that they're doing here in dominion is like foodie traveling cuz dominion's like famous for its food and they're mm. just here to like have an int- a fun enjoyable food experience among you know like other things and so they have like some sort of takeout like uh, you you guys mentioned alligators so i was thinking like something like an alligator wing or you know like alligator yeah wing. like yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and it's just like kind of in a box and like they're not like afraid of getting their hands like messy like they like finger food so mm. they're kind of just like eating it it's like getting sauce all over and they're just like <laughs> oh i don't want to i don't want john it to save me with like gross hands but like i guess i don't have a choice <laughs> Is this why you're wearing black robes? So you it, know. it literally is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to avoid any like staining. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, and as far as how do I know that Jonathan is coming? Mm-hmm. So they know that he's landing at the port now. I think that they can sense some sort of like shift in the weather or the clouds. And okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Here, here's the thing, Lex. We know mm-hmm. that the temple is one of the only places in the world where people can learn magic with water. Yeah. 
I and also like you've got dirty fingers and whatnot, which means to me, I feel like we can have a spell that you are using to like clean your hands or whatnot. Mm. Like almost, I, I'm picturing like a floating ball of water that you could like use as a napkin almost. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh man, it, like, but I feel like the swirling particles could also tell you stuff too. Oh yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. Um, and one thing that I also want to add is that you know because. They are uh, like a waterbender, you know, have been in the liquid swords for a while. Like they're just like naturally uh, drawn to and have some sort of affinity with water, which is also one of the reasons that they like being here. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Like I, I have to imagine that way, like at least saw part of this in a dream. Mm-hmm. And now they get to recognize those signs and symbols yeah. in real life. Yeah. So what, what, what do they see in the water and and how are they like is it a floating ball of water uh is it in a bowl or something like just go wild let, let, let them know what you <laughs> okay um so yeah what do they see in the particles i like to imagine that maybe they are seeing you know what's happening with the knife you know mm. that Jonathan is holding in his hand and when he, when the, his seer eye activates and allows him to see like the most ideal cut, that kind of shows up in the divination in the water as well. Oh, yeah. cool. Oh, I love that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so you're in Jonnet's head a little bit. Yeah, yeah. We have yeah. some sort of like cosmic connection. The way that my seer eye works is that. You know, it can see things that are coming in the future. It can see things that are, you know, coming in the past a little bit. It just can't see the present as much. And it's not as much in the present. It's more like, I call it like the, uh, what, what did I call it? Yeah, pocket space, what I call it. It's basically ways like dream space where they can see things. Just like, it's kind of like unexplainable, I guess. But like, there's some sort of cosmic connection because... I have seen them uh, coming towards me. This is part of like my immediate future. So, yeah, yeah, Do, that makes sense. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. My question to that is: Does Way's vision of Jonnet's does Way see the flashback? Well, see the flashback. Oh wow! Oh. See the flashback to the kitchen. Oh, that's interesting. Mm. Yes, let's assume that they see the vision. They they see the flashback. Yeah. Does it get great? Does it? get staticky on your end oh yeah so what one thing that we were referencing with that okay. static yeah I, I needed that... a little more context on the static oh, yeah, what yeah. It meant. So, yeah yeah so so what we were referencing with that static is w- during a confrontation with the mariner mm. one of the most terrifying forces in this setting Jonnet traded away a memory of b- Basically, a person who was a family friend in order to get the power to rebuke the mariner and push him back from a previous port. So now there's this person who is a tremendous influence on Jonnet's life whose name he can't remember Mm -hmm. and who we're not sure if Jonnet was in the same room with this person, Mm -hmm. if he'd even be able to see them. Mm, I see. Got it. I would have to assume that, yes, Way also sees the, the static because, okay. yeah, because that would give them kind of, you know, information on like, or at least like that would confuse them a little bit as to like, why does, is this memory blank? Like, why does, yeah, yeah like, why is there this, you know, blank space in Jonnet's memory? And that's, you know, will inform their conversation later. So with that, I think after 
the first lines and anchors had been thrown between the ship and the port itself, Gable had stepped away from the helm and allowed, we'll say, Bowser to take the helm. So, Liz, Mm -hmm. I I think the rest of the crew is hurrying preparations for landing. And I don't know if this is a place that Gable has been before. Du mignon. Du mignon. (laughs) Gable, I think we find you looking at your treasure trove. My rock collection. Also, I really need to point out that this is the start of a new arc. Yes. So we do need to know for people who are just going to be joining us, what does Gable look like? Gable is seven foot tall, very large, very beefy sailor type. They are dressed. Uh, this We're going into kind of a warm, swampy environment, so they dress kind of a little bit more casually and lightweight. They usually have this big purple oil skin that they have put away because it's a, it's a bit too heavy and hot, sticky for for the swamps. They are an angel or a fallen angel. So on their back, they have two vertical scars as manifestations of the theoretical removal of wings, though the wings of an angel are ethereal necessarily. They have silvery hair that was cut roughly many arcs ago and it has grown out enough to be a little bit of a top knot that they have encouraged both orphans and friends to practice braiding on. Uh, So they've got a bunch of fun Norse braids. Oh, I really like that. I really like the idea that Gable is actually in a really terrible like in-between stage Mm -hmm. where they can't actually pull things up into a top knot, but if the braid lower on is intricate enough, it like it has the effect of like this top knot undercut, but the undercut is actually like layered braiding that like weaves into the rest of the hair. So this is someone's like beautiful handiwork. I have to know who did this for you. Oh, whomst has done it? What if what if Pliff is good at things? Oh, that would be that would make Gable so mad, and I'd be, I... be so mad, like because everyone has gotten a turn, and then all of a sudden, Pliff got around and was like, "I'll, I'll, I'll try. I just gotta wash my hands of all this chocolate that I got on." <laughs> <laughs> I like this. I like the idea. I do like the idea that Nodos really wanted to help. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of think. The way the scene unfolds in my mind is that Gable is like in in the bathroom, mm-hmm. like in front of one of the mirrors and just so frustrated. Like, can someone I'm so fucking tired of this hair. Can someone please help me? And we can see on the other side of the wall, like we do one of those like Wes Anderson shots where you mm-hmm. can see what's on the other side of the wall. We can see Nodos with his back pressed against the wall hearing your shouts of frustration like trying to summon up the courage to go in and help and so he moves over the door kicks open the door of course splinters go everywhere because the door is made of balsa wood uh barry puts one back (laughs) barry begins to install the other door and he strides over to gable I have always pictured Nodos with extremely long hair. Mm-hmm. 
just extremely long shaggy hair that like falls to his waist. He is no stranger to braids. Mm -hmm. Um, But he's got thick hair and it is hard to braid that yourself. Yeah. And as much as you try, he's never been able to get the hang of it. And so he grabs Gable's hair, which is even thicker. Mm -hmm. Gable's hair, which looks silvery, but also might be silver. It's really unclear. Um, <laughs> Ouch! Very sharp. Yeah, uh, it, it, it's not. It's Metal not hair like a hedgehog. I, I think it has like the bouncy flexibility of hair, not the rigidity of wire. Mm-hmm. But it is it probably around as tough. Yeah. Um, I imagine Travis is white hair is sort of the equivalent of like your when your hair turns white as an older person it's just more wiry mm-hmm. and it's just thicker and de- deader but this is a different texture than that yeah no oh, i got to imagine travis's hair is like soft like fucking snow no. he's just anyway <sighs> nodos tries makes a valiant effort this is for a brief time a dream for him but our boy's got to resolve some stuff. <laughs> I, I think, yeah, I, and I, like it becomes clear that it's just not going to work out. And hey, I love, I love the initiative. Um, can you ow? Can you ow? 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 Can you, I think, I think that's good. I think that's good. Thank you. And then one of the stall doors opens, and Pliff falls, <laughs> tumbles out. Oh, I wasn't pooping. <laughs> I wasn't doing it. See, what did I say? I was going to leave. I could under I I saw that this was a private moment. I should be this. I don't need to be around this. Are you Oh, hey, wait, you're braiding. Braiding's fun. I know how to braid. Can I help? Wash your hands. Wash your hands. B- bathroom Barry comes over. You got to wash your hands, man. <laughs> Skirts a little pure. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, like Pliff's hands get washed and Pliff braids and basically you hear music. Oh, wow. I think Nodos has a Amadeus-style scene of Salieri watching watching Mozart play music. Choirs filling his ears. (laughs) (laughs) The result... Is magnificent. Oh my god! Oh my god! How long is this gonna hold? I mean, until until you don't want it anymore. God, really? Even wind? Yeah, you can wash it too. Really? Yeah. <gasps> oh my god! Oh my god! Thank you. Don't talk to me, but thank you. <laughs> yeah, he's about to say something like, "Oh no, 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 no. don't talk to me." Thank you. Mm. No, no, this looks, looks pretty good. Oh, it is bouncy. Oh. Thank you so much. Yeah, Nodos is really like a, a, a torrent of the mix of appreciation of your beauty and, and the fury that it was not his hands that wrought it. Um, I'm going to go show everyone. <laughs> Nodos, come on. Let's show everyone. <laughs> oh, you grab Nodos by the hand. Come on. Look how, let's show everyone how good I look. And we, we cut ourselves back to the future. Uh, so that's the description. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they are slightly more manifest than they have ever been. They're more solid and more 
warm looking than they've ever been in any of the previous arcs. And we see Gable's trove of treasures. And recently we know that Gable had had gotten in, in Bujanith a, a tattoo of the Morning Star, mm-hmm. which there, there is a tradition that states if you bear a tattoo of the Morning Star, that you always be able to find your way home. Mm-hmm. And in Ungoni, after a long night that left you in a state of, of quiet emotion, you decided to cross that out. And you received a feather recently as a fallen angel. We know that it has been part of Gable's journey to find feathers of fallen. When fallen are cast down from the heavens with them, occasionally some of the feathers of their wings are cast down as well, and they scatter the worlds of sphere. And Gable has wandered Sphere for 200 years, mostly avoiding them and really any part of themselves and their pasts. But recently, in the tales that we have heard as a part of this show, Gable has come into contact with those feathers. And we know that when they choose to touch one of these feathers with their skin, it is absorbed into their being. And with it, you absorb your memories that were cut off from you when you were cast down, Mm -hmm. and a a fraction of the power that you used to have. We're coming into port, and I should be at the helm. But I think I'm a little bothered, and something has been pricking at my brain for a while ever since we took over that enemy ship. And that's Ormar's desire to be called king. That kind of opened floodgates a little bit. Because up until this point, it's been all about like trying to get Oromar to where he was and paying recompense for the the harm done to him as as a human. Now that he seems to be himself again or getting towards being himself again, we Gable's starting to think again of how we got here. The events that happened on the island. And finally dealing with the knowledge that Oromar is in possession of the crown. That was another one of those compartmentalizing that they did. Like, we're in Ingoni, I'm going to deal with this later. But he shouldn't have that. And by the crown, we mean the crown of the sovereign. The being that, as the stories say, created sphere and created humanity in his own image. The being that was struck down 200 years ago that precipitated a calamitous starfall that was, as we know, many angels being cast down from heaven sent to the firmament as meteors that caused floods, that poisoned the ocean filling it with a hateful curse that sent the seasons uncontrolled and wild, storming across sphere in terrible maelstroms. The crown of the sovereign. The being whose life you took. So they're pacing to and fro in this galley, and they still don't remember a lot. They remember the action. They remember... 
what they did, but they do know that the power in this crown, the fact that Ormar desired it and pursued it and is making it part of his identity now, is dangerous and should not be held by anyone. I'll point out, Gable feels that. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the journeys that you, and, and, and you very well may be right, but I'm not sure that anyone knows the difference between feeling and knowing around that issue quite yet. Yeah, yeah then it, it's a lot of gut feeling, gut discomfort of, I don't know why this feels incorrect. And it's not even judgment on Oromar. Like, Oromar's a pirate. He's a captain. He possesses treasure that's part of it. But in order to either both save Oromar or to try to figure out, like, what his intentions are, they have to investigate why they feel such great discomfort. And that probably means interacting with feelings and memories and truths that Gable has put aside for a very, very long time. Mm -hmm. So this is going to be one of the first times that they intentionally are going to try to access memories. Yeah. Are you trying to do that independent of the feather at first? No. The way that this looks is having discovered a piece of firmament and a feather. This is a unique opportunity. And they tried it before where they tried to make a connection between the firmament, the feather, and the crown. They are going to attempt to do a magical ceremony that will hopefully both give them increased access to the memory instead of just what the feather wants to show them, but will also protect them because it's been a pretty awful experience every time. Yeah. So... They're sitting on the floor, surrounded by, like, hay and comfortable places to fall if they, if, if it happens. And with the firmament in one hand, they start to extend the other hand over the feather. And Gable experiences memory. Gable passed out. We can see Gable like laid out on the ground. Their hair, which has been growing back in, like splayed out across the floorboards of the ship. And so silvery, <laughs> uh, which is so distinct. And we, we're like struck by how distinct it is wow, in look from so Travis. We're going to need like a Pantone or like a hex code. <laughs> <laughs> we can't we can't settle on that Nathan because if we do we know the performers will not remember and change it immediately. Mm, fair enough. <laughs> so not immediately. Instead, <laughs> yeah, the next time we record. Yeah, 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 the yeah. next time the next time they're forced to try and remember. <laughs>
god, are we going to get Slam like actually wrestling an alligator? Because that would be very good. Oh, uh, we did determine there are alligators everywhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Cool. <laughs> we didn't, I don't think, establish a Gatorland theme park, but there is there is a Gatorland theme park here. God. <laughs> We did it. Mel had the baby. I'm I'm sitting right next to them right now and they're asleep. It just makes you tired. You just get really tired. And and you have a full on slapstick routine every night to go to sleep. Cause there are all sorts of challenges that you can come up with, isn't that right? Um, but yeah, the mid-rolls are going to get real lazy for a little bit. Um, but I hope you really like this episode, because Casey did a really goddamn good job. <gasps> oh no! What's that? It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Hey. My sweet baby bird. It's okay. Remember, there are no kings. Take flight. Campaign Skyjacks is a one-shot network production. For more information, be sure to follow us on Twitter over at CampaignPod for updates about live shows and other events we might be doing. Welcome to Character Creation Cast, a show where we create and discuss characters, the best part of role-playing games, with guests using their favorite systems. I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Bolter. And I'm your other host, Amelia Antrim. Join us as we sit down with game designers, podcasters, and fans of games as we dive into learning about different RPGs through the lens of character creation. It's a combination of character building, player advice, game design insights, and even a little bit of fan fiction for a different game every month. We tackle a variety of new and old games, both well-known and indie-produced titles. We learn how creating characters can tell us a lot about the games themselves. Check us out today anywhere you can get podcasts or on the OneShot Podcast Network at OneShotPodcast.com. You can find more great gaming shows over at OneShotPodcast.com. Like Neo Scum. Neo Scum is a narrative comedy podcast featuring five Chicago improvisers antagonizing their way through the role-playing classic Shadowrun. It follows a group of misfits and outsiders. Z, an acerbic cyber troublemaker. Pox, the candy junkie klepto from across the pond. Tech Wizard, the public access actor with a petulant thirst for adventure. And Dak Rambo, the nastiest trucker this side of the Robo Mason Dixon. Join the irascible Neoscum crew on a puerile rock and road trip through a weirdo world of tomorrow, doling out street justice to every deeb they encounter, whether they deserve it or not. Jonnet Kessler was played by Tyler Davis, who can be found on Twitter and Instagram at Tyler A. Dave. He also co-stars and consults on Showtime's Work in Progress. Gable was played by Liz Anderson, who can be found on Twitter at LizAnderson underscore underscore underscore, or on her podcast, Paired. Travis Matigo was played by Johnny O'Mara, who can be found on Twitter at Johnny and Briefs, or on his podcasts, 
Bill Buds, and Dilettante Ball. Captain Oromar Vale was played by Nathan Blades, who can be found on Twitter at PhantomArtsENT. You can also find them streaming on twitch.tv slash theneoncaster. I am James D'Amato, your host and game master. You can find me on Twitter at OneShotRPG or on my other podcast, OneShot. The original music featured in this podcast was written, composed, and performed by Arnie Parrott. You can find him on Twitter over at A-R-N-E-P-A-R-R-O-T-T. You can find more of his work at atptunes.com. This episode was edited by Casey Tony, who can be found on Twitter at Casey Pony or on his podcast, Neoscum. Our logo was designed by Fiona Shea, who can be found on Twitter at Fiona Pup. The World of Sphere was inspired in part by the music of the Decemberists, and Illimat, produced by Together Studios. This show uses a modified version of the Genesis role-playing system, designed by Sam Stewart and a team of talented professionals who were fired by the private equity firm owning Fantasy Flight Games. To the strangers who've ever been kind, and once for our friends ne'er rise. Twice to the dearest we're leaving behind Who know we can never deny The call of the sky